You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Young ladies, young single ladies, uh, if a guy that you were dating was coming over for a dinner to meet your family for the very first time, you'd want everything to be just right. The, the house clean, the table set, the food delicious, and every member of the family on their very best behavior, right? You might even spend a little bit of extra time uh, getting ready. So how would you feel if the uh, doorbell woke you from your nap and in walks your date and there you are in a Snuggie uh, with messed up hair and sleepies in your eyes and nothing is ready, cereal for dinner, Uh, you would be absolutely mortified. Or maybe parents, um, you're throwing a surprise birthday party for your child And all the guests have arrived and everything is just right and and everything is prepared except you forget to keep watch. And so when your child walks in the front door, everyone is mingling and having a great time and no one yells surprise because no one pays attention to your child. That'll, That'll make her birthday really special. Being unprepared is stressful. But there's a, there's a certain comfort insurance and assurance about being watchful and prepared. We still get nervous for important occasions, but it's a great feeling when we're ready to rock when it's go time. The most important event to be alert and ready for is Christ's return or your very last breath, whichever comes first. Both events come with finality. As Christians, we confess that Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. We've been learning about that, and now we come to Matthew 25, where Jesus gives his disciples more parables about his very exciting return and how to be ready for it. The parable of the the ten virgins gives us both a comforting promise and a sobering warning. We might feel some nervousness about Christ's epic return. I mean, what if we're not ready? Uh, And and here's where the parable leads us to ongoing repentance, faith, and good works. The parable certainly extends to us the gospel promise of eternal life with Christ. So in our weakness, the gospel is our comfort. We, We need to know that God will keep and preserve us until the end. And so the angle that I want to take today is this. As you excitedly watch and prepare for Christ's coming, his grace and spirit will keep and preserve you until he takes you with him into his eternal marriage feast. You need to watch. You need to be prepared. You don't need to worry. As you trust Christ because His grace and spirit will keep and preserve you as you watch and prepare. The bridegroom is coming. Let us be ready for the celebration. Christ used parables to explain the distinction 
between true believers and hypocrites within his visible church. Understanding the difference between the invisible church and visible church will help you make sense of the parables. The invisible church refers to the elect through the ages, the people who were, are, and will be actually united to Christ by true faith. We can't see true union with Christ. And we can't know infallibly whose confession is sincere and whose is hypocritical. God alone possesses the register of the invisible church. On the other hand, the visible church is the church that we can see, the organized church, the church in covenant with God who outwardly confess Christ together. It began as covenant families, became a nation, and is now from all the nations of the world. It is one people distinct from the world. It is believers and their children. The visible church is the kingdom of Christ made visible on earth. It's everyone who belongs to a local church and gathers to Christ to receive his means of grace. But see, within the visible church are sincere believers and hypocrites. Covenant keepers and covenant breakers. We see this distinction in the parable of the ten virgins. In fact, Jesus has already taught us about this distinction in previous parables, the parable of the sower. Some people receive the gospel with joy, but they have no root, so they endure for a little while, but fall away because of tribulation and persecution. That's not someone losing their salvation. That's a hypocrite inside the visible church apostatizing. The parable of the weeds. In the world and in the visible church, there are good seeds, the true sons of the kingdom, and weeds, the sons of the evil one. At his return, Christ will gather out of his kingdom, the text tells us, out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and law, all lawbreakers. The visible church contains hypocrites who will perish. The parable of the net. The net is cast and various kinds of fish are gathered into the net. The kingdom or visible church has within it evil people and righteous people. At the judgment, Christ will separate the evil from the righteous. The evil will perish in hell. The righteous will be with Christ. We could also look at the parable of the unforgiving servant and the parable of the wedding feast. The parable of the ten virgins, once again, addresses a division inside the visible church, inside the covenant community of faith, a division that in time will become evident. There were 10 virgins waiting together for the arrival of the bridegroom. Five were wise and prepared, five were foolish and unprepared. The parable gets us thinking, well, I sure don't want to be among the the foolish and unprepared, I, I want to be among the wise and, and the prepared. Jesus began the parable of the ten virgins by saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So let's review an important point on the kingdom. Christ inaugurated his kingdom at his first coming. So be watchful and prepared for his second coming and consummated kingdom. 
When Christ came the first time, he inaugurated, or we could say that he began his kingdom. The king came and fulfilled the law for his church, was crucified for his church, raised from the dead for his church, ascended victoriously to the Father to intercede for his church. Christ is the head of his church, reigning and ruling over all things, but especially over his church. His life and ministry reveals his righteousness, power, goodness, supremacy, and glory. He preached, healed, provided, conquered, gathered, defended, and preserved. The time to enter the kingdom had come and is now here. Enter by faith. And the king said things like, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, which it most certainly was, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 12, 28, or Luke 17, 21, the king said, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The king had come, and through law and gospel preaching was graciously and quite powerfully gathering a people to himself. Consider also Matthew 23, verse 13, Jesus condemned the scribes and Pharisees who happened to be teachers within the visible church. He said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for, pay attention to this, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Now that's interesting. They wouldn't enter the kingdom. What did that mean? They wouldn't enter by faith by receiving the king. They wouldn't submit to the king's supremacy in all things. So there is, in one sense, uh, a sense in which we enter the kingdom of Christ while we live by coming to Christ, by confessing Christ, entering the church of Christ to be a disciple of Christ, to learn from Christ and to receive Christ. So the call goes out to everyone to come to Christ in true faith to receive his means of grace in the visible church, to separate from the world and to join his visible church, to gather together with the saints in his visible church, to submit to Christ in his visible church, to receive Christ's blessings by faith in his visible church. But Christ will certainly come again to consummate his kingdom. Who, who waits for the king to return? Those in the visible church. But see, some are wise and prepared, while others are foolish and unprepared. When Christ uh, consummates his kingdom at his return, his kingdom will be purged of all evil and lawlessness. Hypocrites inside the visible church will perish. Dear saints, he must not come and find you foolish and unprepared. So as you watch and as you prepare for him, take comfort in this. As you excitedly watch and prepare for Christ's coming, his grace and his spirit will keep and preserve you until he takes you with him into his eternal marriage feast. Now let's turn our attention to the parable of the ten virgins where Christ presents himself as the bridegroom arriving for a great marriage celebration. 
Christ is the bridegroom. And all of us must be watchful and prepared for his exciting return. In the parable, all ten virgins are waiting for the bridegroom. Most likely at the bridegroom's house where the the celebration will take place. Once he arrives, those uh, who are prepared with oil and, and torches will go out to meet him. And will process with him back to the house to celebrate inside. I think this parable illustrates nicely what 1 Thessalonians 4 explains, that the church is resurrected and caught up with Christ in the air to process with him back to earth as he brings his consummated kingdom. It's an eschatological parable. That's that's the context here. So it describes what happens when uh, when Christ returns. Interestingly, in verse 7, the Greek word for rose can metaphorically refer to resurrection. I find that interesting. Jesus used imagery from the Old Testament to describe his own return. For example, Isaiah said things like, for your maker is your husband. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Think back to Matthew 9, 15, where Jesus said of himself, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Even John the Baptist thought in marital terms as he described himself as the friend of the bridegroom who rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Jesus spoke of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, in terms of waiting for the arrival of a bridegroom, the coming of a bridegroom, and going into the marriage feast with the bridegroom, and then how one waits is of utmost importance. When I was a kid, I I watched a video of uh, two boys that were stranded on an island And uh, it's been years since I saw it, so I might not have it 100% right, but I think I remember it. It was was a type of parable, in a sense. Um, The boys hoped that one day the boat would come by the island and rescue them. And so one of the boys just got to work. I mean, he started to prepare for that, that day that the boat would come by. And so he trained by running and swimming. And the other boy just kind of, just kind of, gave up hope. He just sat around eating bananas and putting on weight. And so there was this tension between that. Well, one day the boat actually arrived and it arrived off the coast and the boy who had trained was ready. And so he jumps in the water and he swims out to the boat. The other boy wasn't ready. He he hadn't prepared. Christ's return, it will be exciting. It's exciting to think about, but the wait is long. It's long. The length of the wait can actually make watching and preparing seem kind of less urgent, seem almost secondary to what's happening. Oh, what's happening in the here and now? This is is where it's at. We can lose sight. Life happens, right? And, And then we get spiritually sloppy. We compromise, or we, we give in a little too early, or we slack off, or, or we lose hope, or we prioritize earthly things above heavenly things. It's easy to do. But this is a parable of perseverance 
of, of giving forethought to our spiritual journey and staying the course until the end. So you grew up as a covenant child in the visible church. Great. So, so you confess Christ. Great. So you're a member of a local church. Great. So you consistently attend corporate worship. Great. But the question is, are you truly watchful and prepared for your bridegroom's arrival? Are you persevering in repentance, faith, and good works? Are you depending on God's grace and spirit to keep you and to preserve you as you wait? Be watchful and prepared so that your bridegroom finds you among the wise in the visible church. The 10 virgins were attending to the bride, likely at the bridegroom's home. They were waiting for the bridegroom's arrival so that they could go out to him and meet him and process with him to the home into the wedding celebration and feast. They had torches so that when he came, he could have this beautiful, beautiful, well-lit procession. You can imagine all the well-lit torches with the bridegroom coming back. It would have been a beautiful scene in the evening, but as they gathered to the house, five of the virgins brought no extra oil with them. They only had their torches. They had no forethought. They would need oil for their torches during the, the procession, but foolishly, they didn't think far enough ahead to prepare for that. The other five virgins, earlier in the night, they, it might have gone something like this for them. This is great. I am so ready for this wedding. I have been anticipating this for so long. Okay, I need to get ready uh, to wait with the other girls for the bridegroom. What do I need? What do I need? I need to help the bride, so I got to pull the things together for that. Okay, well, I don't know exactly when the, the groom will, will be arriving. It may take him a little while, and so... I'll take extra oil just in case. That way I will have plenty of oil ready for the torch so that when he comes, I can go out and meet him and, and I can have a bright torch to be part of this wonderful procession with the bridegroom. Wisdom gave forethought. Wisdom considered preparedness. Wisdom prudently planned. Wisdom would be revealed later in lit torches in the middle of the night in the procession with the bridegroom. That's when wisdom would be on display. Well, the bridegroom was delayed. Same word as Matthew 24, 48. The hour became late and naturally all of the virgins grew quite tired. He's not coming, right? They fell asleep in the home. But in the middle of the night, and the ESV says midnight, I don't care for that. Um, the language is not that precise. It's the middle of the night. Sometime in the middle of the night, um, someone shouted out excitedly, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And this surprised everyone, kind of startled them and roused them from their sleep. It was time for the procession. It was time to go out. It, it was go time. And all the virgins awoke and they trimmed their torches so that their flames would be brightest in the night. And at that moment, a significant problem arose. It appeared. Five of the virgins realized they didn't have enough oil for their torch. Uh, 
noticing that the other five virgins did have enough oil for their torch, uh, they, they asked them for oil, but the prepared virgins realized that they didn't have enough oil for themselves and for the other five virgins. And so, so they encouraged them, the, the unprepared virgins, to just go and buy some oil for themselves. And so hurrying, they, they left and they went to buy oil, hoping inside to be back in time to process with the bridegroom into the feast. Sadly, while they were away, and this is a tragic tale, the bridegroom arrived and the five virgins who were ready with oil and lit torches in hand, they met him, they processed with him to the house, and they went with him into the great wedding and feast. And then the door was shut. Everyone who was supposed to be on the inside was inside celebrating with the bridegroom, together with the bridegroom. But what about the virgins who, who, who went? There are other virgins here in the story. What about them who went to buy oil? After, after the procession was finished and, and after everyone had entered the house and after the door was shut, the five virgins who went to buy oil returned to the house. And they called out to the bridegroom, Lord, Lord, open to us. And something shocking happened. The bridegroom answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Now make the connection. Those who truly knew the bridegroom were ready for him and they were inside. Being unprepared and missing his arrival and missing his beautiful procession meant they didn't truly know the bridegroom. Not being watchful and prepared is relational. This is a parable of the visible church awaiting Christ's return. The wise in the church are exercising forethought and good judgment by preparing for Christ as they wait. The wise also want to persevere in repentance and faith and, and good works until their Lord comes. The wise are sure to possess uh, what they need to finish the course, to endure to the end. Jesus had already stated, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Perseverance is vital, and this parable reinforces that truth. Will the marathon runner win a medal if he veers off course at mile 24 and heads to a local restaurant and uh, never returns to finish the race, will he get a medal? You gotta go 26.2. One study note said, being ready means being prepared for a long delay. Short-lived zeal is inadequate. Think about that. Short-lived zeal is inadequate. The, the fastest 100-meter sprint is 9.58 seconds run by Usain Bolt. It doesn't matter if you run a 9.25-second 100-meter if you're running a marathon. And, and, and you can't finish because you gave it all that you had for the first 100 meters. And now you're just spanked down and you're like, man, I can't finish this. I gave it all at the beginning. Short-lived zeal is inadequate. Ne may it never be with Christ. Calvin said, but the general instruction of, this, of the parable consists in this. 
that it is not enough to have been once ready and prepared for the discharge of duty if we do not persevere to the end. If we do not persevere to the end. The 10 foolish virgins, they were ready earlier in the evening. They were there waiting, but they were not ready when the bridegroom arrived. Readiness is not transferable. Kids, the readiness of your parents cannot count as your readiness. You must be ready for the return of Christ. Husbands, the readiness of your wife cannot count as your readiness. You must be ready for Christ. And vice versa, the readiness of the Christians around you and the readiness of your church cannot count as your readiness. You must be ready for Christ and you will be ready when you depend upon the grace and spirit of Christ to keep and preserve you till the end. The wise virgins were ready and they processed with the bridegroom into the marriage feast. Be ready. Be ready, be watchful, be prepared by devoting yourselves to a lifestyle of repentance, faith, and good works. You don't want to be found an unprepared fool when your bridegroom returns. Be watchful and prepared so that your bridegroom does not find you among the foolish in the visible church. To hear from Christ's mouth, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Or as stated earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, is the worst thing you could ever hear. They are terrifying words of eternal judgment said to hypocrites inside the visible church. You never want to hear those words. The Greek word moros, which uh, is related to our term moron, appears three times in this parable. A moron is a fool who lacks judgment, good judgment. The five moronic virgins were careless, negligent, and inattentive. When the five wise virgins were careful, sensible, and attentive. Now, sure, all of them started out with torches and oil, but only five had extra oil to last through the nighttime profession, uh, procession. Perseverance to the end, brothers and sisters, is vital. It's vital. The foolish virgins didn't finish well, and they, they were excluded from the marriage feast. They were locked out in the end. And I think the thought of that actually helps us be sharp and ready and watchful. Hypocrisy exists in the church. Many wait, but they wait carelessly. Many wait, but they let the most important spiritual things just slip away, and then it's too late for them. See, the bridegroom comes while they are preoccupied with many other things. They were caught unprepared and subsequently locked out. Though in the visible church, they still perished in their sins. Be watchful and prepared so that your bridegroom does not find you among the foolish in his visible church. Think back to the showy religion of the scribes and Pharisees. Think about how they wasted their lives doing a bunch of religious things without any heart for Christ or his church. 
Think of their hypocrisy and legalism. Think about Jesus condemning them. Think about how Christ proclaimed judgment against national Israel for their unbelief and their wicked rebellion against God. And they were God's covenant people. They were covenant breakers, law breakers, because they did not receive Jesus as the Christ by true faith. Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed. Indeed, the Jewish nation undone. Watchfulness and preparedness has absolutely nothing to do with nationality or lineage or physical descent. No, watchfulness and preparedness have everything to do with faith in Christ. Faith in Christ, trust in Christ, dependence on Christ, receiving the grace and spirit of Christ, being filled with the spirit of Christ and living for Christ by his power and his spirit. Folks, the door will close. You don't want to be on the outside. You want to be on the inside with the people of God, with the bridegroom and with his friends to celebrate. And so, you must be watchful and prepared. A batter can't step into the batter's box and not be focused. This just, just can't happen. A batter needs absolute hyper-focus. The Seattle Times posted an article titled, Don't Blink, the Science of a 100-Mile-Per-Hour Fastball. A 100-mile-per-hour fastball takes about 375 to 400 milliseconds to reach the plate. It takes you about 300 to 400 milliseconds to blink. It takes about 75 to 100 milliseconds for the brain to identify the ball. It takes another 100 to 150 milliseconds to swing. So the batter has about 150 milliseconds to decide what the pitch is, where it's going, and whether to swing or not. All that to say, he better be alert. He better be hyper-focused. He better be ready to swing. And the article ends with this line, whether you're trying to hit or just watch, you better not blink. The batter's eyes must be wide open, wide open. His focus must be tuned in to that ball and his mind and his body completely ready to react and swing. And I think one of Satan's greatest soul-destroying weapons is leading people to believe that they have plenty of time. Plenty of time. They can blink or, hey, why not take a nap? Sleep. They can get serious about spiritual things later. So it's okay to play around with trivial things now. And that lie destroys many people because the day will come when the door is shut. Door is shut. Paul said it happens in a twinkling of an eye. That's quick. Right? One blink, milliseconds. It's too late. Be watchful and prepared that your bridegroom does not find you among the foolish in his visible church. Keep repenting. Keep receiving God's grace in Christ through faith. Right? Keep busy with good works that the Spirit empowers you to do? Don't lose heart. Stay ready as you wait and trust that Christ's grace and Spirit will keep and preserve you till he comes. Jesus told his disciples this parable, and he made this conclusion and encouragement. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
Hasn't he been making that point? Right? He's been making that point. Stay awake. Be alert. Be ready. Watch, disciples. Watch. He, he didn't give them a time. He didn't say, hey, mark your calendars, by the way. I'll, I'll be coming then. He didn't do that. The, he prepared them for when that time would come. That's what he did. He prepared them. Now, as we think about this, the only ones who should be anxious about what I'm saying, the only ones who should be anxious and, and worked up are those in the visible church who aren't watching and preparing. Those who have uh, the gospel promise, uh, those of us who are watchful and those of us who are trusting and those of us who are preparing have the gospel promise of the parable. You can't miss, that. there's a threat here, but you can't miss the promise of the parable. They will process with their bridegroom into the great marriage feast so that they are with him and they celebrate with him and all his friends. That's the promise of the parable. Sometimes Christians with sensitive consciences, and that, that would include me, there are days I wonder about myself. You, you too, probably, and maybe, maybe you'll be prone to ask, well, will I fall away? I mean, what if I proved to be an apostate? What, what if I'm among the foolish? What, what, what if I'm not one of the elect? And perhaps, perhaps the answer is quite simple. Are you believing the gospel? Is it that simple? Are you believing the gospel? Are, are you believing that Christ's grace and spirit will keep and preserve you until he takes you with him into his eternal marriage feast? Are, are you trusting Christ? Are, are you receiving his means of grace in order to depend upon him more fully? Are you putting off and are you putting on? Oh, that the gospel would be your comfort, dear saints. As you consider this important parable, dear saints, as you excitedly watch and prepare for Christ's coming, his grace and spirit will keep and preserve you until, oh, until that great day when he takes you and me with him into his eternal marriage feast. This parable gets us thinking about the way we live our life. Are we watchful? Are we prepared? Will we persevere? Our confidence and comfort as we think these important things through is the gospel. The gospel is our confidence. See, watchfulness and preparedness come by God's grace and God's spirit working through faith in Christ. The gospel is our comfort. The gospel is our strength as we wait. Your comfort in life and death is that you belong to Christ your baptism is a seal, a sign and seal of his ownership of you. Your comfort is that Christ is preserving you in such a way that all things will work together for the good of your salvation. He has graciously granted you his Holy Spirit who is lovingly assuring you of salvation and making you heartily willing and ready ready from now on to live for him. By his spirit, the bridegroom is making you ready to live for him. He who has begun a good work in you, has he not also promised 
to complete it. Your bridegroom is in heaven as your advocate before the Father. He, your flesh and your head, is in heaven waiting to take you to himself. He has given you his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power you seek the things that are above. He is pouring out his heavenly gifts upon you, his members, by his means of grace. And as your king, he is powerfully defending and preserving you till he takes you with him into his eternal marriage feast. Believe this gospel. Believe this gospel. As It is such a precious thing to believe. We need this gospel. And when you struggle with fear, when you struggle with doubt, when you struggle with this weird insecurity feeling inside of you, inside of your heart, remember the gospel as stated in one Reformed catechism that true believers are kept by the power of God through faith to salvation. Kept. Kept. If faith is something that you have done, guess what? You can stop what you began. But since faith is something God gave you, he will continue and finish what he began. Can I get a hallelujah? That's the gospel. Has God not told you in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. That's gospel. Your confidence is not your faithfulness to Christ, but Christ's faithfulness to you. And that's why you can be watchful and prepared. Hebrews 13 talks about God equipping you with everything good that you may do his will and working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Has he not promised in the gospel to equip you for readiness, to give you what you need to be watchful and prepared? Trust him to do it. Trust his promises. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. It's so comforting for those who believe The visible church in Corinth, to whom Paul was writing, they were waiting for the bridegroom. And Paul told them this, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful but whom you, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As as we wait for the bridegroom, we must remember the gospel, that he will sustain us to the end, that God is faithful, that we were called into the glorious fellowship of his son. And so when he returns for us, the gospel promises that we will be found guiltless and, and ready, prepared to go with him into the great marriage feast. Believe it. Take hold of that promise by faith. The bridegroom is keeping and preserving you because, get this folks, he wants you with him in the great marriage feast. That's why he gives grace. He wants you with him. So he gives you the gospel, spirit, grace, and he gets you there because he wants you inside. He wants you inside. 
That's comforting. He knows you. In fact, he knew you before the foundation of the world, as scripture tells us. He will take you with him. So now, as the wait is long, as we get weary, as we get so distracted, heed the exhortation of Paul who said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Isn't that great? With thanksgiving, watchful in prayer, with thanksgiving. I'd like to end with something that I read in a study Bible as I prepared, and I think it will help you take the parable and get it down into your life. That's that's how I think this is gonna help you. So this is very practical, very helpful encouragement. The study note gave three tests drawn from the parable of whether we are truly the Lord's people. And the test helps us discern whether we are among the wise or whether we are among the foolish. Whether we are being watchful or or whether we're slacking off and not watching or whether we're prepared or whether we're unprepared. This is is the, the test. First, are you prepared by God's spirit to endure for a long wait before Christ returns? Second, Are you actively serving him now by taking the personal and material resources he has given you and employing them in your vocation for his glory? In other words, are you using absolutely everything that God gave you for his glory on this side, in this earth? Third, are you responding with compassionate action to the needs of other Christians around you as members of one family in Christ? Those are the three. Are are you loving the family? Are you loving the family? Are you involved and loving the other members of the family? Are, Are you doing that? Are you about that business? And the study note ends by saying this. These are tests Christ will use on the judgment day and we should judge ourselves by them now. I think that's helpful. Be watchful and prepared. Okay, that, that's not just an intellectual thing that we just think. It's practical. It's on-the-ground readiness. It's the pursuit of holiness by faith. It's the pursuit of righteousness by depending on Christ. And so... I say to you, the wise in the visible church, to you who who believe, to you who are truly united to Christ, as you excitedly wait and watch and prepare for Christ's coming, his grace and spirit will keep and preserve you until he takes you with him into his eternal marriage feast.